We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Dynasty. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Dynasty Tradecast, brought to you this week by the FFPC. I'm Eric Burtzloff, better known on Twitter as at Dynasty Trades, joined by my two, two uh, sad one co-host, Nathan Powell. What's up, man? What's up, Eric? I'm so happy that we can continue this bit of me and Dan arguing over who talks first. And today, I talked first because the guy didn't bother to show up. So, uh, <laughs> you know... Um, uh, gotta gotta carry carry the weight here and uh, be the star of the show tonight. Okay, no, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, you literally have to be the star of the show because I'm literally just like keeping the conversation moving. So now I'm involved in the conversation. We have to have some actual hashtag content, Nathan. Content, 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 and I'm excited about the content today. What are we What are we doing, Eric? We're talking listener questions. So we have fielded. Um, we have we have thrown out the nets into Twitter. Um, into the into the universe, into the Voxer. I saw actually, Nathan, you uh, trolled our listener league, I believe, for questions as well. Well, in the past, we've probably done like two listener question episodes, and during those episodes, we get like four questions, and they're all terrible. So I've always told the listeners that their listener questions have been terrible. See, this, this is and every no, single episode, I tell you not to bash on the listeners. See, this is the listeners. Do you see what I deal with behind closed doors? This is why ripping on Nathan Powell on the show is okay. No, but listen, I I, I criticized them. I've ga- I gave them a fair criticism, and the questions were pretty good this time. And um, so we, we got one question in the Voxer, which we'll start off with. And then we got some nice Twitter questions as well. 
So let's just get right into it. Um, okay. Actually, actually, no, don't do that because you have to give us the road of his ad. That's <laughs> that's true. I do want to remind everybody that you can get a listener's only 30% discount to Rotoviz NFL Pass. through our NFL podcast homepage. That's rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content, and it also helps support the pod. You can contact us via email. That's rotoviz at gmail.com or on Twitter. That's rotoviz radio. So make sure you log in. You reach out and you subscribe to the Rotoviz radio channel. It's awesome. And I know that like pretty much every single fantasy website, particularly ones that have any sort of dynasty content, say this, but Rotoviz during draft season is absolutely incredible. Some great prospect profiles going up on, on the site and great metrics that you can look at uh, throughout your time. So definitely if you want to subscribe to Rotoviz, now is the time to do it so you can get all that draft content prior to the draft. I'm not just kissing butt because they give us a paycheck every once in a while. It's genuinely some of the best draft content that I consume. Preach. I completely agree. All right. Let's start the show. This came from someone in our listener league, uh, David Somerville, I believe Rocket Dave on Twitter. Um, he was talking about the concept of the, the separation between the two tiers of, of running backs. It's generally perceived that Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson, and Le'Veon Bell are pretty much that first tier of running backs right now in Dynasty. And then there's a separation between them and then the large bulk of the 2017 running backs. And so basically what he was asking is, is the the, the gap between that, those tiers proper? Should it be closer? Should maybe the young back even be ahead of some of the guys in that top tier? So, uh, so we're, just, talking, we're talking the Christian McCaffrey's, the Kareem Hunt's, that that whole crew, the, the Fournette's. Uh, Kamara, Hunt, Fournette, Cook, McCaffrey. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I, I think I think – Running back is is by default in Dynasty a little bit hyperbolic. It's very much what have you done for me lately. Like right now, I think David Johnson's sitting on the fringe of that of that top tier right now. And I think if he does not perform right off the bat, the Twitter is going to start to hate him too. Um, so I, I I really think that the 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 relationship between tier one and tier two for the savvier player is not as much of a riff as it is between or rift rather. Um, it's not a guitar lick between. Between the two, uh, it's not as it's not quite as big of a chasm as it is for the untrained eye or the or the people that don't do this on a regular basis to see have seen you know three four years five years ten years of dynasty running backs kind of blur the lines between tier one and tier two as they go. Which granted, there's always that super duper elite guy, but putting your finger on which guy out of a tier one class. I mean, remember Todd Gurley last year was in that tier two. Um, and so there's going to be kind of a blurred line. So, I, you know, I, I think that the relationship between the two is kind of interesting. I personally like to feast on that second tier more than the first. Yeah, and that's mostly because that top tier of wide receivers are so hard to pass on. Yeah. And that's what you're doing when you're spending a top six, seven pick on Ezekiel LA or Todd Gurley. Um, I, I think that the one thing that the, if you want to make a case for that top tier of running backs is people talk about that the lifespan of a running back and, oh, it's only three, four years. Yes, that's the case for your run-of-the-mill guys who are mid-RB2s, high-RB3s. But these guys that are high-end RB1s, they don't generally go away unless there's a major injury of, of some sort. So Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, all three of those guys, I see them as you know top five, top seven running backs for the next four or five years. And some people don't even like look past that, that five-year window and even a three-year window in Dynasty. So I, I think that if you're going to make a case for those running backs, it's that they're so good that they kind of defeat the, oh, running backs have a short shelf life type thing. 
Um, and then when we talk about the, the rookie running backs that pretty much make up that entire next tier, along with Saquon Barkley, I, w- I would say. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And even 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 Darius guys to a little bit lesser extent. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that obviously every one of those backs has, you know, their, their truthers of guys. Oh, Alvin Kamara, he's going to enter that first tier. I, I think that it's less of any of those guys entering the first tier, and it'll be more of the dynasty age Twitter being like, oh, now David Johnson's 27, now Le'Veon Bell's 27. And maybe that just ends up molding the two tiers together to where, okay, yes, I clearly want Gurley Elliott over these guys, but at the same time, they're not too far away to where they're you know, a, a separate tier. Right now, the, the that top tier is all going in the top seven of, of ADP, and then pretty much all of the, the rookie running backs are going in the second round of startups. So I, I think that when it comes in, it's, it's kind of weird to imagine. We could have even more running backs in the top 12 next year, but it could certainly happen with uh, guys like Kamara Hunt and Barkley and Fournette entering that as well. No, and, and I, I think that that's fair. And I mean, there's there's certainly more volatility in the second tier. But I think I think what you bring up, and, and I think what you said at the at the top of your argument there is exactly right. Is passing up on those wide receivers, those top tier wide receivers, is almost impossible for somebody who is probably max giving you five years of really really sexy production. Now, granted, if it works out for you, it's league winning production. But the guys, if you if you go back five years and look at dynasty ADP from five years ago, you suddenly start seeing okay, there's AJ Green there, there's Des Bryant there. Uh, who are the running backs five years ago? You have guys like Jamal Charles. You have guys like Doug Martin, Sean McCoy, Eddie Lacy. I mean, I'm looking at the 2014 ADP right now and, and uh, Marshawn Lynch. So the fall off there, you have Julio Jones in this. I mean, so so the wide receivers are truly a bit more insulated and really do provide more of a long-term upside. Now, granted, if you're drafting a running back, that might not be what you're really going for. Uh, and there is something to be said about there's a time to make a run for things, but I've never been the guy who felt comfortable taking the run. If, if I felt like I needed to take a running back in that top tier, many times I'd be trying to unload him for a couple assets. Maybe it be one of those second tier guys and a wide receiver, or maybe I'm trying to trade down out of that pick. Cause it is, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. And, and like I said, I mean, you look, you look at this 2014 top tier, and I'm doing it through MFL right now. You look at you look at their top tier from this. You've got all the wide receivers except for Calvin Johnson are still very relevant in the top two rounds of Dynasty ADP. The running backs, you have LaShawn McCoy, J- Jamal Charles, Matt Forte, Eddie Lacy. Uh, let's keep going. Marshawn Lynch, DeMarco Murray. Granted, they're all still names in the league, but they're certainly not top tier talent. Absolutely. All right. So I think that's that's definitely an interesting discussion on the difference between that those two tiers. Now let's move on to our Twitter questions. The first one we have is from Martin underscore Allard, and that is in a one QB league, what's the buying price for Marcus Mariota? Aguilar straight up, Aguilar two twelve, or don't make that move. So basically, what's the difference between Aguilar and Mariota in a one QB league? It's probably the the two twelve plus Aguilar is not probably that far off. I mean, Mariota is probably a late first. Uh, Aguilar is probably an 
I don't know, mid second, early second at this point, value wise. Maybe maybe I'm inflating his value a little bit, but it's probably in that ballpark. Uh, so uh, mid second plus two twelve doesn't necessarily equal an, a late first or early second, um, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. It's probably two mid seconds is probably the appropriate valuation there. So it's probably Aguilar plus a mid second to get to Mariota. Yeah, this is an interesting case because we talked about so, so often that like basically every quarterback is who's worth anything is worth basically between the two hundred one and the two twelve. Right, one twelve, one twelve. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, two twelve. Yes, sorry. Continue. Basically, all of them are worth second round picks, and that's kind of why. While I'm not the biggest Aguilar fan in the world, this isn't a move I'm trying to make because I think that you're kind of capping your ceiling here. If you let's let's say you do Aguilar in the two twelve for Mariota, then you know you're basically paying the max of what Mariota's ever been worth unless he goes into that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Russell Wilson type tier. So I, I think that maybe try and use a, a, a player that's not quite as good as, as Aguilar, maybe a guy that's going to be going in like the 12, 13 round of startups and maybe more of a mid second. I think there's just a different combination of players and picks you can do when trying to trade for a quarterback rather than a wide receiver who has some promise, who, who some might value as like an early second and then, at the end of the day, an early second and a late second for Mariota is a bit of an overpay. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and Mariota is a bit of a question mark right now. If I'm holding Mariota, I think there is a bit of an inclination to pull the parachute right now. And I think we've talked about it on the show where this is probably not the time to get rid of Mariota, that, that everybody is a little bit lower on him. Where if you were talking about Mariota beginning of the 2017 season, everybody was in love. He was a top five quarterback for sure. He was already in that elite dynasty tier um almost very similar to what Wentz is doing right now where he's definitely in that like top top quarterback discussion and and most certainly in that tier so I don't now now it's really a question of like will he hold on in the second tier uh and I'm not sure that that's the time to sell he's a young quarterback in a in a kind of volatile situation so I don't think I'm selling in the volatility and and as Nathan said it's just not that appealing in a one QB league to try to unload a quarterback. You're, you're just never going to get that much. And the upside's just really never there. Yep. We'll move on to our next one. And this is from at frosted Blake's 85. Uh, so very sweet name. That's like a uh, Twitter handle. It's like frosted tips, like Justin Timberlake right there. Or, you know, maybe that's like what Blake Bortles will do to his hair since he doesn't have any hair anymore. Ooh, Rusty Blake's. That's like, yeah, I just got a picture of like uh, him looking sweet at like a halftime show, like in the future. Yeah, that works because you won't be playing football. Go on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he just got a three-year deal, but that's okay. I'm not even a Blake Bortles truth, so I don't know why I'm fighting this. <laughs> um, well, so, we were taking how many games would he play in 2017 as a bet, and we all lost was the answer to that. Yeah, <laughs> we were like, all right, Chad Henney's going to take over and like we five maybe uh um, i think i had like under week five was what i bet <laughs> that is just a colossal fail but i also had the browns for eight wins oops yeah all right let's break down a, f- a few uh wide receivers in their rookie pick value i guess we can just go one by one first and we'll kind of rapid fire this because we've talked about these guys a lot uh Devontae parker rookie pick value go uh parker is probably the 108 if I, 106 to 108 would be the valuation i put on him I, I think the 106 may be pushing it a little. I think it's more of that 108 to 110. But, you know, I'm along the same lines as you. Uh, let's go Josh Doxson. Um, he's fallen into the into the mid-second at this point, I think. The upside's there, though. So maybe 202, 203. Yeah, I think that Doxson's a decent buy. But you have to understand that, like, even if – and this is, like, the, the whole point of, oh, why are you see Like, even if Doxson hits at this point, well, he's kind of old right now. He's, you know, probably 25, 26. Um, so, I mean, 
I, I'd buy I'd buy for an early second just because I you know draft capital, draft capital, draft capital. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and it's worth mentioning that the range of outcomes on Doxon is very much he could turn into a, a bust. That there is he's flashed a bit, but there is nothing on the wall saying that he's going to be like a steady wide receiver for, for you moving forward in the future. So I think that it, just baking, and I think that's baked into his value, but I think that early-ish second round pick is kind of where it's at. But if you're buying him, just realize that you're kind of taking a gamble on it. Yeah, it's it's an investment that in 12 to 18 months could mean absolutely nothing. And that's pretty much every single second round pick anyway. So I guess that's a valid point, except for David Johnson. No, I'm just kidding. Go on. Okay. Uh <laughs> Final of of this trio of this question, it's D.D. Westbrook. Uh, I know our boy Dan is like the biggest Westbrook truther alive, so sad he's not here to discuss the rookie pick value of Westbrook. Man, I think Westbrook's valuation is right around Doxon's right now, and actually maybe even a little bit higher. So I'd put it right at that same valuation, trending up as opposed to Doxon, who's kind of holding stagnant. Yeah, I mean, I'll stick to there's the difference between a first round pick and a fifth or sixth round pick, which was D.D. Westbrook was. So I'd say if I'm valuing Docs around that 202, I'd put Westbrook more like 206, 207. I think there's also there's also still the risk of, I mean, while slim, there's the risk that they bring back both Robinson and Lee. Or if they bring back Robinson, maybe Keelan Cole emerges over Westbrook. So I don't think there's anything locked in that says Westbrook will be a number two target in Jacksonville next year. Okay, let me ask you a host question since we're doing listener questions. I'll ask you a host question um, in the same vein that I'm inspired by Frosted Blake. Sup, what's up, Blake? Uh, Keelan Cole in that same backfield or in that same uh, wide receiving core. What is the valuation? I've, I've heard I've heard people saying late second round valuation, early third round for Keelan Cole. Where are you at on Keelan? We often talk about uh, the difference between worth less than a se- less than a first, more than a second, and I think that Keelan Cole is just at the the later version of that. He's worth less than a second, more than a third. I'd pounce on that two ten, two ten, two twelve range because I do think that his value is heavily contingent on what happens with Allen Robinson, what, what the Jaguars do in the draft and free agency. There's a lot of things that can happen to make Keelan Cole worthless, but if those things don't happen then I can see him getting some targets, having some value in 2018. And he showed enough flashes to where, you know, he, he's at least worth an end of bench roster spot, which is basically what third round picks are worth anyways. So let's move on to our next one. And this one's actually a question that I got and I kind of knew, knew my answer uh, right away, or I knew that it was an interesting question. And then I got the, the follow-up and I was like, Oh, that makes it different. So it's Zach Ertz or the one Oh three. And the follow-up is that it's super flex and tight end premium. So, I'll start us off here. I, I think that the big the big thing here is that it's Superflex. Superflex makes that top tier. Uh, some people say, oh, it's Barkley's the top tier. Nobody else matters, yada, yada, yada. I think it's more of Barkley Geis are the top tier in one QB. And that tier uh, that tier extends to Rosen and Darnold. So a top four top tier in Superflex. So I think you can make the argument in a one quarterback league, Ertz versus Sonny Michelle, Ertz versus Chubb, especially in tight end premium. Yeah. But, but in Superflex, I can't see myself giving up I can't see myself giving up uh, Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold. I got two guys who I think can be, you know, quarterback ones, high end QB twos for Zach Ertz. You know, just tight ends aren't that valuable. I I I agree, and I'm not sure. I I'm just not there on Zach Ertz being the 103 even in a regular in a regular league, which is probably why I own zero of him. But if you're in a one QB league, it, it's probably still not a move I would be thrilled about doing. Yeah, it's certainly you're paying for the high higher end of of the price with Zach yeah. Ertz, but but he showed that you know 
if you paid for him last year, obviously you, you paid a lot less, but still he, he produced at a high level throughout the season last year. Totally did. I mean, there's, there's, I guess though, I mean, just tight end wise, I mean, what's Travis Kelsey worth in, in rookie draft picks? I mean, what's Gronk worth? Probably the, I mean, is Gronk worth the one one? He's probably worth a little bit less based off of ADP, right? I'd, I'd say that Gronk and Kelsey are both like worth between the one Oh two and one Oh three. Right. And then you got Ertz at the one Oh three. I don't know. I would, I would almost rather just creep into one of those other two individuals than pay that price for Ertz. I, I, I don't think I have Ertz at that, that high evaluation. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. All right. Well, wow. We got some good names here, Eric. Okay. Uh, I'm excited to hear you read them. All right, here, we, here we go. Uh, our, our next one is from Tubaca, T-E-W, Baca. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I, I, I know where I'm going here, uh, so let's see where you are. Demarius Thomas, a 2019 first and two 2019 seconds. Aaron Williams, I mean, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. So the Packers running backs, Demarius first and two seconds. Or Mike Evans and Jordan Matthews. God, what's the package again? It's it's so much stuff. It's it's De- okay. Demarius, so, Demarius Packers running backs first two seconds. No, because basically the Packers running backs. I'm not totally convinced they're even running backs for the Packers next year, really at all. Uh, granted, they'll be on the team. I'm just not sure that they're the guys or they'll be split. So kind of nullifying their evaluation. I don't know. It seems like. It seems like you're paying ten dimes to get to a get to a dollar. So it seems like the Mike Evans side for me. Yeah, and someone can make the argument that maybe Demarius has a few years left of you know wide receiver two production. Sure. But and, and, and especially if they get Kirk Cousins, I mean that could be the resurgence of Thomas for a couple of years. So yeah, I'm with you. I think that the the value between value split between Mike Evans and Demarius is is greater than that first. Then the two seconds don't do enough. And I do like Jordan Matthews as a bit of an upside piece as well. So we can move on to our next one. And it says uh, one the league. Oh, this is from ACC Liz Call or or Clizall. I don't know something of that sort. No, it's got a Z uh, in there. I think is probably what you're saying. Aquazol, I think. I think that's where we're going with. He says won the league last year. Strong team, top to bottom. Would you package Kamara and the 112 for Mister Barkley? No, no, probably not. Um, Kamara and the 112 for Barkley seems seems too much. Uh, now, granted, as the 101, while everybody's in fever pitch over that 101 as the title. Sure, maybe that's like it sounds better on paper, but realistically, where his ADP ends up in my eyes is, and I think we had with McDowell on the podcast where we talked about this too, is the ADP for any 101 is typically at the end of the first round. So when you're talking about giving away a guy that's already at the end of the first round plus a first round pick, no, it's it doesn't make any sense. I think Kamara straight up for Barkley is an even exchange or close to it. Maybe you're given a little bit more. I'll give the needle to Kamara's side, even though I don't know that what he did was sustainable, but that's no, I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to side with the Kamara side, which is probably unpopular on Twitter at this given moment. Yeah. I think that this sort of deal is I'm just taking the one that has any sort of asset on top. If right. I have, if I have Barkley and someone offers me Kamara, I'm not necessarily accepting that. But if someone says, all right, I'll give you Kamara and the 202 or Kamara and the 112 for this example, yeah. then, I'll t- then I'll take it. Or if it's the complete other side, if I have Kamara and someone's offering me Barkley, I'm not really snap accepting that either. I'm like, all right, just you know, make it worth my while. Add, add something else, maybe a late first, early second. And if not, it's like, all right, I'll just keep the asset that I have. 
No, I, I'm totally on board with that. I don't, I don't think this one's even that particularly close. Let me tell you about our friends at the at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. For most people, it's the offseason, but not for the FFBC. They now have almost 200 active dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single dynasty league is folded in eight years. Orphan dynasty teams are available for purchase right now. Many of these teams are good teams ready to compete. And startup dynasty leagues will be forming shortly. So get your name on the waiting list today. Plus, if you're ready to draft now, the FFPC Best Ball Leagues will be opening for 2018 in the upcoming days, starting at just entry fee. So don't miss the FFPC experience. That's go, or I'm sorry, go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. All right, Nathan, let's get to more questions. All right, well, uh, uh, sneak peek, our, uh, our next segment is more listener questions, so that's exciting. Um, our next question is from T. Rosen R. Ryan Trozen. At what pick in, in this rookie draft are you willing to move for a 2019 first? So I'll start us off here. I think that there's two answers to this question. And we always talk about there's no such thing as a random first because you can generally get a, a decent idea of it. But <laughs> let's, say, let's, let's say random means like mid, mid to late. Um, if, if I'm assuming it's a random first, I think that number is more along the 108 to 110 range because I, I do think there's a bit of a teardrop around that range of rookie drafts. Certainly that can change with the combine and with the draft. But at that point in the, in the draft, if I'm not really thinking, oh, I'm going to draft a guy that's going to be a starter for my team this year and I'm excited about next year's uh, 2019 wide receiver class, I think that w- that 108 to 110 range is where I'm thinking about flipping for a, a future first. Um, but then there's the the dreaded, oh, this looks like the worst team ever first. And I think that I'd go up to the number like 105 if it's like a deadlocked, okay, this guy's going to be like a top two worst team just because of how excited I am about those wide receivers. Yeah, see, I, I'm not sure I subscribe to that philosophy. Um, and and generally speaking, my answer is not really ever. Um, but probably more realistically, the answer is I trade my this year first for next year's first when I'm out of players that I want in the first. Um, and so maybe that is the 110 or something like that. Um, I really don't, I, I really do subscribe to the idea that judging any given team's next year performance on the roster they currently have is very, very difficult. Um, like a couple waiver wire heroes will save any garbage team and, and it, it is very tough to fully, I mean, granted, I guess probability wise that there is going to be a bad team or an obviously bad team, but uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that I would ever move the one Oh five for a future 19 uh, unless I could be guaranteed it was top five, which seems super, like I said, based off of the information I had before is not just, it's not really a philosophy I want to subscribe to. I just think there's too much variance in where people finish year to year. Um, so on that, on that, I think that the answer is wherever I'm done picking in the first is probably where I would go to the 2019 because you would have anything from a very, very late 2019 to a very, very early 2019. And, and uh, granted, the valuation is going to be, I don't know the value. I guess it's, it's a piece you can move next off season or at the end of next season, but it's just not the way I play dynasty. I'm I'm not moving this year's draft picks for next year's generally speaking. That makes sense. Let's move on to our next question. 
and that's going to be from our friend Brian Malone. I, I believe he's appeared on this podcast. Oh, yeah, he's been on. Okay, there we go. Brian Malone. A great, a great Twitter follow, by the way. Absolutely. I'm the one who got him on Twitter. Don't People forget that. Um, so people, people don't forget that because you say it every time we bring up Brian Malone. Yep, fact. Um, so uh, Brian asks, whoever your top dynasty player is, so let's just establish that Odell Beckham Jr. is your top dynasty player, correct? Sure. Or, right. or actually probably probably Nuke right now is the top dynasty player. But, yeah, it's up for debate right now. But go on. I right. understand so, the premise of the question. Okay. Who is the worst player and a 2019 first you would accept for your top player? And a 2019 first. So, so I guess what I'll say is just something to keep in mind from when you're looking at the first round of a dynasty draft in a startup and we're talking startup, right? Nathan. Yes. Okay. So the, there's just such an exponential factor. The difference between the one Oh one, just pure value wise to like the one Oh five, which maybe in this case is Julio Jones, or, you know, let's, let's go, let's go last year, for example, where if you were doing this, this time last year, probably the one Oh one was OBJ. The one Oh five is Julio, something like that, where the difference even between those two players is pretty exponential. The difference from that one Oh five to the 202 is pretty is even more exponential. And it kind of like it's it curves off until you're getting into like the fifth, sixth round where everybody's pretty close in value. And 10 picks from now is not that much different valuation wise than you know 10 picks earlier, whatever it may be. So uh this is one where if I have the 101, and granted, I mean moving down for a couple, you know, for a start for a couple picks in the second round is a strategy that a lot of people do, but just from a pure valuation standpoint. I'm not sure that this is this is and I'm not sure which way Brian's asking this is like in a startup, which direction would I do that or in a value vacuum, which way is the way to go about this? But probably in a value in a, if I'm just going pure value, the whatever the 104 plus a plus a first is probably close to what I would do this year. Um, and then in that same idea, I don't I, I don't actually don't dislike the idea of compounding a bunch of second round startup overall picks for that, like 101, 102, if you're able to get their first get too late first in the second and a second and two in the second that that is you know something that would also be you know would also be good yeah i think that my answer to this and this would kind of be contingent on the fact that i'm building my team around a team that is going to have a late first and i think that i would trade one of those, there's like that tier of veteran wide receivers, the Antonio Browns, the AJ Green, sure. and Antonio Browns probably a little bit above those guys, but the I AJ agree. Greens, the Julio Jones, right? That um, tier is the tier where in the first round still gets a little weird. And give one of those guys basically you give up a first to lose five or six years on age. So I think that that would be, and it obviously depends on obviously it's a little bit younger with OBJ, but not too much because young uh, Hopkins came in as a young prospect as well. So yep. I think, I think it comes down to, you know, a player that you're going to be valuing at that one Oh seven, one Oh eight range and preferably one of those, you know, guys that, and it's so dumb that we're like, Oh, in a year, AJ Green's going to lose so much value. Well, you know, it's the truth he's going to. So, um, and OBJ is going to pretty much still be at the same value. So I think that's pretty much the, the move to make is that if you have to trade away an OBJ, you have to get, you know, one of that tier and a first. Well, but even then, like the, again, in a value vacuum that, that, that doesn't compute is if you're, if you're just going value wise, cause you're absolutely right. Like AJ Green's valuation is just, is, is actually pretty far away from AJ Green's valuation at, when you look at it. 
Uh, and granted, if it's an early first, then sure, that's that's probably closer. But if you're getting the 112 plus AJ Green for for OBJ, you're never going to be able to pull that trade off in the open market. Absolutely, yeah. All right, let's move on to our next one. This is from I play for keepers. He plays for keepers, kids. I like I like that too. Nice. I like the name. There we go. Uh, Superflex auction dino stored up draft draft starts one week after the combine. How much percent of budget would you spend on these three? So basically, uh, give your number for each person. Barkley, Gurley, OBJ. I guess I can actually start us off here with you this can one if you want. Yeah. Um, I I don't like giving. Oh, I'd spend this much on a player. I'd spend this percentage on this player. Because so much of an auction, and while there might be not much analysis here, it's so much an auction is reading the room and seeing what what other players are going off the board for. In one auction, if Barkley's going off the board for twenty two percent, that might seem like a little bit much. And in one auction, it might look like eighteen percent is is a bargain. So I think that you know it can kind of depend on what other players are going for off the board. But I guess you can just give us the numbers here, Eric. Um, Squan Barkley, what's your number for percentage of budget? Well, let me, I'll back up and kind of harp on what you just harped on. Cause each auction dynasty, this is why I like auctions so much is because each one is so different is it depends on when people get nominated. It's so dependent on when people get nominated and like, and, and the way people are structuring their drafts in comparison to other people in your league. It's just like, it's, it's fun to watch and compete. Like the only way to get really good at auctions is do many, many of them. Um, and watch like just follow the trends and and my general rule with auctions before I start answering just percentage questions is I don't go in really with a strategy I kind of let the strategy come to me as I watch other owners and read what their strategies are and see what mistakes they're making and how I can pounce on them um, okay I'm sorry so so percentage of, of Barkley is the question percentage on Barkley Gurley and OBJ so generally speaking, I don't like to spend more than 20% of my budget on running backs. And again, this just kind of goes back to like, I don't like the tier one running backs. I usually get out of that situation. So in, a, in an auction, I don't have to do that. Um, if you do want Barkley, you're going to have to pay that 112 price, which is probably in that like 25 to 30% of your budget type price. Yeah, I think that might be a hair much. I think it'd be more of the 20, 20 to 25% rather than 25 to 30. But yeah, I think that Barkley is in that 20 to 25. Gurley might sneak into that 25 to 28. Yeah. And then and then OBJ, he's that type of guy that literally could go for a third of your budget if a guy is like, okay, I'm going to get OBJ. So, I mean, and any- we've, we've seen it. I mean, each of us do the kitchen sink leagues where you have pros who are dumping 100 and some odd dollars of a $400 budget on the 101 overall. Exactly. And it's not necessarily a bad move. It just hamstrings your team building because you spent all that money on one player. You need a lot of things to break right for you if your plan is to be competitive that year. Where you just have to you just have to get a little bit lucky on the way out, is I guess what I'd say. Yeah, and I mean just to bring up a, a personal anecdote, I, I had one auction where I spent, it was a super flex auction of like three or four years ago. Spent 50% of my budget on Cam and Luck. That team made the playoffs. But that wasn't because Cam and Luck were superstars. It was because I just made a bunch of trades that ended up working out for me throughout the season. It's like, and that's how a team makes the playoffs. Not, oh, I spent 50% of my budget. That's always going to work by spending all your money on quarterbacks. Yeah, and in general, as, a, as just an over, and I know this isn't the question, but just as an overall auction strategy, if you're 
and I think we've talked about it on the show, but I, I really implore you to do a spreadsheet and go ahead and just allocate out where you're going to be spending percentages on players. And I always, for any auction, I have a spreadsheet and at least a plan going in. And I always deviate from that, but at least it's a spreadsheet where I say, okay, if I win in this cheap, now where does it free up money? Or if I overpay, how bad does it screw me? And usually it screws me a whole lot down the road. So just something that... If you are getting into Dynasty and you're getting into Dynasty auctions, I would highly implore you to take the time, game plan out your draft, and and put together at least a rough spreadsheet just listing out, okay, player, all the positions you have to fill, and then put percentage numbers next to it, go with budget, and then figure out, okay, what does that leave me for each player if this is the way I want to build my team? Sure, and obviously the number of starters you have to start, whether it be 8, 10, maybe more than that, it, the, the higher number of starters, the lower that number of like a max bid you can really have in, in order to build a contender year one or even in the future. And and yeah, and then and then again, random other antidote, just the very beginning, you have to go in and get a little bit of stuff, but don't go crazy because somebody is going to dump all their cash super early on. And then that it always, 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 without a doubt, even in the pro ones that we do in, in Kitchen Sink, it opens up so much value later on in the draft. Like the middle of the draft is always just an excessive amount of value. All right. This is our last football question of the night. Whoa. And, whoa what, what other oh, – I'm excited to hear what other kind of questions we have. Uh, well, we have one other question, um, and it was asked twice, so we have to answer it. Okay. Uh, is that how this works? Yes. Uh, if you yeah. ask me something twice, I'm going to answer it. That's, that's a Nathan promise. But – this question was only asked once, and it's in a rebuild situation. Is Antonio Brown a build around, or a, a build around, or a sell piece? If sell, so, what is the what can you expect in a real trade situation? So, this is where I think a common mistake comes into play, and that's actually a really good question because if you're rebuilding and you're staring at Antonio Brown and you're like, I need to. I need to turn this into assets that I can diversify. That, that, that I need to diversify this asset so they can gain value, hopefully. And then I can diversify those assets, those gain value, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually you have a team that actually has a lot more value than when you started with it. I totally get that mentality. Um, I think Antonio Brown gets gets like kind of a – I actually am of the mindset that I believe Antonio Brown could play football for another nine years. Uh, it would not shock me if he plays into his 40s with his body type, his precision route running. I just think he can be productive for as long as he wants to play football within reason. So I don't, I don't really view Antonio Brown as old like other people probably do. Uh, everybody said, what is he, 28, 29, that people in general, the dynasty community is done with him. They're over him. Uh, and they're starting, everybody's starting to sour on him and say, okay, it's time to pull the parachute here at some point. If people are doing that, I am all aboard buying into Antonio Brown. So what I'll say is if the team is bare bones, ragged, terrible, then you got to diversify Brown. And the price tag I would be looking for is three firsts. That would be the price tag. Yeah, you, you kind of explained it a little bit, but I think that the, the big key here is that you're not selling Antonio Brown in a rebuild because he's not going to be good when your team is eventually good because rebuilds aren't techn- aren't aren't really work are rebuilds aren't really going to take you 3 4 years and Antonio Brown is still going to be fantasy relevant 3 4 years from now maybe he's not putting up you know 25 PPR points per game like he is now but I believe he will be Nathan okay well even if he is it's not even about what he's producing when your team ends up competing it's more about in order to get to the point of competing, 
the best way to do it is by selling Antonio Brown and getting those pieces now. So if yep. you can if you can get that three first value, it's the quickest way to try and turn around a guy like Brown. So it, I think that when you when you say you got to sell Brown, it's not because his points won't be there in four years. It's that you just need to build that young value in your team in order to have a successful rebuild. Right. You can't sell your Alan Hearns. Like that's not going to get you anything. Like your terrible team that has 26 guys who are worthless is not going to get you anything. So you, you, and your team's going to stay worthless unless you start getting in there and, and, and punching. Exactly. So while it might be a good move to hold, it's, it would be more of a, a difficult rebuild because you're not selling off that asset that can, can net you some decent young pieces. Well, and, and let me, let me actually stop Nathan. Let me elaborate on one other thing. Cause I see guys who get into like guys who orphan teams and then they're automatically in a rebuild and overreact uh, and try to, and they know they have to sell their Antonio Brown and they sell them for pennies on the dollar. Just, don't do something like that. If you're in a rebuild, you're in no rush. Your team is going to suck all year. I promise you. You're in no rush to unload Antonio Brown. And when he's producing during the season, he is going to be worth way more than he is right now in the offseason when everybody's remembering he's 29. So just if you're in a new rebuild or in a new orphan team that's got a stud asset and is garbage, just remember that your team's going to suck all year that you just need to be patient and let the team suck and then let your asset that's worth a lot gain value and then sell him. So you can, you can rebuild in the upcoming years. All righty. Let's wrap up today's podcast with a very important question. This comes from Matt Pricer, former guest of the show. I, the I remember line keeper, line keeper. Uh, you know, he does stuff at a zoo. And also, um, our friend Sal Stefanelli also said he would like us to answer this question. So when Sal tells me to do something, not only because it's the second person who told me to do it, when Sal says to do something, you do it. It's pretty much the rule of thumb with the internet. Okay. So, so here's the question. Peanut M&Ms or peanut butter M&Ms? I mean, I personally go peanut M&Ms, and I don't think it's really that close. That, that's the correct take. Peanut butter M&Ms are trash. I mean, I, I don't think it's even in the ballpark. I mean, that that crunch that comes with the peanut M and M's. I mean, hot fire. Yeah, with the pe- with the peanut butter M and M's, I'm just waiting for the crunch. Like I'm I'm biting into. It. I'm like, yeah, you're getting just you're uh, you're basically getting a Reese's pieces in smaller format. Yeah. So M and M's hashtag stick to peanuts. Peanut butter stinks. <laughs> why why did two people ask that question for the is it are you a, an eminem or is one of us a known eminem aficionado well no it's not like it was asked two separate times matt asked it and then sal said i would like you to answer this question <laughs> fair enough well then uh we have given the answer uh all right and we're out I'm, of questions I'm, 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 yeah I'm sure Dan would have given the incorrect answer with peanut butter, though. So there's no way. There's nobody out there. There's no listener drive. There's probably actually I take that back. There's probably a listener driving around right now with some peanut butter M and M's in his like in his cup holder. He's like eating them midway. He's like, "Here's some peanut butter M and M's," and it is definitely not guy driving around in your car. Frank, Frank, put down the peanut M and M's. Okay, well. Um, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap the show then. Uh, Nathan, that was fun. It was fun to answer your guys' questions. Uh, it's always it's always fun. I think we get this in once a year where we get to talk to talk uh, specific dynasty questions with you guys, and it's always good to answer those questions. Hopefully we did did it 
acceptable in your eyes. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you go and rate and review us on iTunes. Five-star reviews help listeners find us. So we greatly appreciate if you could do so. Um, and on that note, Nathan, I'll give the floor to you before I go ahead and wrap up the show. Anything you want to talk about? Kadosh. That is literally all he says. I follow him on Snapchat. It's only pictures of him making a ridiculous face with the, and he doesn't even say it. It's not like videos where he says Kadoosh. It literally has like just the blurb underneath that says Kadoosh written out. Uh, so that is a 100% true. I'm friends with Nathan Powell on Snapchat story right there. Uh, and that is if you get a Snapchat and every now and then I'll get them directly sent to me. I'd say 98% of those that are directly sent to me are him with the word douche under him with a face. <laughs> and I assume a couple beers in him, if I'm guessing. Sometimes. Confirm or deny? I mean, not, not the Snapchats from behind the wheel, which are, are the best ones, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. A, a window in the Nathan's soul. Uh, all right. On that note, I'm, I'm Eric. He's Nathan. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys next week. Take it easy, guys. All right, breaking news. If you made it through the podcast, Nathan has gotten one other question in real time that we're now going to answer at the end of the podcast. So, Nathan, hit it, son. All right, Eric. Um, when I mentioned this, I hadn't actually seen the guy's um, at handle yet, but I'm sure you'll think this is a uh, hashtag rigged uh, when, when you hear it. Uh, the, the guy's handle is at Nathaniel Bro. So shout out to at Nathaniel Bro, you know. He shouldn't have the IEL because Nathan's are better, but that's okay. Um, I'm assuming your name is Nathaniel, though, straight up. No, it's, it's not. No, my name is Nathan. That's pretty weird. Go ahead. All right. All right. He says, I've heard that you have an advantage if you're the one to open with an offer. But how do you do that without getting into a position of weakness and negotiations besides the uber clever way that Dynasty Frank mentioned in the last podcast? So for those that didn't listen, Dynasty Frank mentioned a way of trying to acquire a player where he tries, he makes an offer for a player basically above the player he's trying to get. So if he's trying to get a Christian McCaffrey, he'll send an offer for Odell Beckham or DeAndre Hopkins. And then when he gets a rejection, he'll be like, oh, well, if I can't have Odell Beckham, I'll, I'll give you this for McCaffrey. How much and, for McCaffrey? Yeah, so I, that's definitely an intriguing way uh, of doing it. But I, I think that the biggest way you get an advantage by making the first offer is just by paying a price that's better than you know the, than you would accept. So I, I think that it's it's important to just be like getting taking advantage of market value and looking at what market value is and what your valuations are and trying to find you know the difference between those two. And basically, when you're making the offer, make sure that you're winning the trade big time on the first offer, and then it can kind of go down from there if you're into a negotiation. Yeah, this is when also let me just say, I'm not sure which he leaves the dynasty strategy that Frank is talking about a little ambiguous. I mean, I think your assumption might be correct, but could he be talking about making no trades at all? Like dynasty Frank mentioned in in our podcast (laughs) on the the dynasty trade cast. (laughs) Yeah, it might be possible that he's talking about dynasty Frank's patented strategy of not offering trades to anyone and being very busy in life, Uh, which I which I on air related to. Uh, but yeah, no, this is, this is really the dynasty trades conundrum and, and it just comes with experience is what I'll tell you. Uh, and that's a frustrating answer, but there is, I mean, the way to do it until you have enough experience to understand the nuances of the dynasty trade market is just go bigger, go 
at least a second round pick higher than what you think the valuation of the person you're offering a trade to is. Um, and you'll whiff every now and then you'll be like, Oh crap. I thought that was that. And then suddenly it ends up on Twitter and it's 94 to seven. Well, that would be 101%. So 94 to six, whatever, whatever. Uh, it changed mid mid sentence there, but 94 to six that it can be, it can be very, very difficult, but you just have to accept the, Sometimes you're going to make mistakes at the beginning of your dynasty trade career. And and crap, Nathan and I probably still, I mean, I still make trades every now and then. And I like the next morning I wake up and I'm like, damn, that was stupid. That was, I did not think that completely through Nathan agree, disagree. I mean, yours usually involves alcohol. <laughs> that, that, that can be the case, but yeah, I, I think there's, there's sometimes a blind spot to liking a player so much or disliking a player that you're trading away so much. And you're like, wait, Twitter like that player that much or Twitter really doesn't like that player. So I, I think that, and obviously Twitter, Twitter doesn't result in, you know, fantasy points, but it certainly can tell you, you know, what other people are thinking in terms of market value. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So this is one that, like I said, if you're, it's a question that come, I'm, 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 it's a question that every single dynasty trader asks themselves right before they hit that that uh that send button as far as an offer goes and it, it is that's why i don't really like the idea of like ripping on traders for making really shitty trades because honestly at the end of the day it is very difficult to make good trades constantly and then if you're constantly making competitive ridiculous offers then you're constantly giving away value and that's tough too all right that wraps up our secret double secret question at the end of the show if you made it through the outro leave a five-star rating and review because you're awesome we appreciate you and you've all just won a new car and scott fishbowl no just kidding you haven't won any of those things i'm sorry i'm sorry you just got a little bit of extra content i'll tell you what they did win though two guys who have microphones and quality audio that's what they won i i mean i will give this to you nathan you're in the last two weeks you're uh your technical difficulties have faded. So I, you know, I, I appreciate your commitment to the show going over to your girlfriend's house. Just, uh, you know, I, I like to think that's your only reasoning for going over to your girlfriend's house tonight. Pretty much. I'm sure that's the only reason, Nathan, <laughs> for those listeners that aren't, that are driving right now, I'm winking at Nathan heavily. So, uh, all right, I'm wrapping the show. I'm getting a little loopy. Uh, Make sure you leave a five-star rating and review. And I am Eric. He is Nathan. And we're out of here. Bye, guys, for a second time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.